let me add my word of welcome today. We're delighted in your presence. Glad you could be here. Want to welcome those worshiping with us online today. We're always glad to have you as well. A lot of our young people and some adults have gone to Revive, which is at Blue Lake Camp in Alabama, and so they're not here this weekend, but we have quality here. Look at the person next to you and say, you are quality. Go ahead and tell them that right now, <clears throat> and I'm glad you made it. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning to start things off. How many of you can admit when you're wrong? How many of you can admit when you're wrong? How many of you are sitting by someone who's lying right now? <laughs> Through their teeth, they cannot admit when they're wrong. When Laura and I were newlyweds, she said to me, have you ever noticed how you're always right and, and I'm always wrong, she said. And I said, yes, yes, I have, of course, as God intended. And she said, well, it's not always that way. Sometimes I'm right and you're wrong. And one time something happened and she was obviously right and I was wrong. And she said, see, see right there. Just say it. Just say it. Just say it. I was right and you were wrong. And I said, okay, I was right and you were wrong. No, that's not what I meant, she said. <laughs> but you know what? She was right. So there. And, and it, you can go tell her if you see her that I said she was right and I was wrong. She'll just, it, it'll be a wonderful thing for her. She can just celebrate all afternoon. But you know, we do, a lot of us have a hard time saying when we're wrong. And, and it's a lot easier for us to make excuses than just to admit that we've messed up. I remember years ago, I was at an annual conference and, and we were having this debate and all these preachers were there. It was one of those times when you had a microphone and you only got a few minutes to speak and you had to get recognized and you could go to the microphone and speak and sometimes you were approved to, to ask a question. Sometimes you could make a speech for, sometimes you could make a speech against. I'll never forget this preacher. He got up and he was supposed to be asking a question, okay? That's what he had asked permission to do. When he got up to the microphone, he started making a speech while he was getting to his question. And the bishop called him on it. And he said, um, brother, are you making a speech or asking a question? And I wondered how this guy was going to tap dance and try to get out of this and, you know, make an excuse. And, and he just started smiling. And he said, guilty on both counts. And everybody died laughing. It was wonderful. It was so refreshing that the guy said, you caught me. I did the wrong thing. I didn't do what I said I was going to do. I did something other than that. And it was very refreshing. And it, it made an impact on me. Why do we try so hard not to say that we're wrong? Well, you know, all of us had a starting point in our faith. And we talked about this last week. We said that a lot of us, our starting point was in childhood. We learned about God through our parents or through our church. And we learned that God is good and that God blesses and that God teaches us what to believe and that God answers prayer and he rewards good people and punishes bad people. And then when we became adults, we saw a gap between what we were taught as children and what we see as adults. As adults, we weren't expecting this to take place. We weren't expecting to experience that, but we had some issues that we went through. You were told that Jesus loves all the little children as children, and, and he does, and we believe that. But when you became older, you looked and you said, well, these kids don't look like that they're loved as much as others. They don't look like they're being taken care of as well as I am. And so I, I just struggle with that. Or maybe you were taught that God heals, and you prayed for God to heal someone that you loved, and that person didn't get healed. And then you said, well, what do I do with that, God? And over time, the foundation that you had as a young person began to corrode and, and kind of drift away, and the rigors of adulthood were challenging for you. 
You weren't mad at God or the church. You weren't sure that you would ever quit believing everything, but you did begin to quit believing some things, and some things just didn't seem to be as important to you as they once were. Well, today I want to talk about hitting the restart button. <clears throat> we're going to talk about what would it be like? What's the difference in coming to faith as a child and coming to faith as an adult? Because they're two different things. And so sometimes your childhood faith, it needs to mature. And as you become an adult, you need to begin to change how you look at things. Here's something that you might find helpful. The Bible says it's not an adequate starting point for some adults. If you say to people, well, the Bible says some adults, you know, they're like, well, okay, but what does that mean? And so they struggle with that. The Bible says it was never intended to be a starting point for the Christian faith. Well, if that's not the starting point, what is the starting point? The starting point is to answer this question. Who is Jesus? If you can answer that question, then it makes everything come together. If you can answer the question, who is Jesus, then you begin to see the significance of the Bible. You begin to understand the principles that God teaches. You begin to understand Jesus' role in our relationship with God. And today, I want to talk about a word that, that you don't hear much unless you're in a religious conversation, okay? This is a word that, that only comes up. It's kind of a theological term. You only discuss it when you're talking about something with God. And here's the word. It's the word sin. And everybody here is so excited that I'm going to talk about sin today, right? And I wonder, is he for it or against it, right? Because we, we hear about sin, but we really don't like to talk about sin. What is it in us that resists looking at sin in our own lives and acknowledging that we are part of the problem? Because if we see sin in our lives, we think, okay, well, I'm a sinner. It's over. I'm doomed. That's it. There's no hope for me because I am the problem. So in our culture, we've changed the word sin. We've gotten rid of it. We've put in a different word that makes us feel better, okay? And do you know what that word is? We've gone from sin to a mistake. I made a mistake. Have you noticed that? Sin has been replaced. How many times have you seen a politician or a public figure go on television and confess a mistake? I, I made a mistake. Now, if I ask you today, <clears throat> how many of you have ever made a mistake? Everybody would raise their hand. How many of you have made a mistake? Okay, if somebody does not have their hand up, then someone needs to look at them and say, liar, or you're asleep right now. One of the other two. I don't know what it is because we've all made mistakes. But what if I ask this question? How many of us have ever sinned? Yeah, well, see, we don't really want to confess. In fact, when we confess to God and we talk about our sins, we really don't want to tell him. We don't want to say them out loud to him. We don't want to talk about them because they make us feel so bad. But guess what? He already knows. And so what are we going to do with that? The truth is sometimes we make a mistake on, person, on purpose. Have you ever wanted to make a mistake? Somebody gets on television and they confess a four-year mistake. Can you make the same mistake for four years and say it was a mistake? I don't think so. I think it's bigger than that. Well, what do you do with a mistake? We just correct a mistake, right? That's easy. But the problem with sin is that it's about you and it's about me. And we can't just correct that. We can't fix that on our own. And we're the problem. Now, if you're trying to restart your faith as an adult, there are things you have to figure out. In other words, 
Why do I always do the things I don't want to do, the things that I know will hurt me? Why do I resist the idea of having a sin problem in my life? Now, here's the weird thing. The weird thing that is when, when you're correcting yourself, sometimes you want to be uncorrect. You, you want to uncorrect yourself. And, and this is what we do. Well, you know what? I've done really well for 13 days, so I owe myself one. You ever get on a meal plan and you're supposed to eat certain things and you're not supposed to eat other things and, and you get real proud of yourself. A couple of weeks, I've done really well. So I guess I'll just go choke now and do something wrong, right? I owe it to myself. And, and so we do that. Why would you do something that hurts you and then do it again? Well, nobody's perfect. I made a mistake. So there, get off my back, okay? We might want to take the baby step and embrace the notion that really we didn't make a mistake, but really we're not mistakers, we're sinners. A sinner is basically someone who knows what to do and what not to do, but they go ahead and they do it anyway. Here's the interesting thing. Jesus consistently taught us something about sin. He talked about sin in connection with relationships. Jesus said that sin breaks relationships. If you've ever broken a relationship, it's because you did something wrong or somebody else did something wrong or both of you did something wrong. And then what happened? It broke the relationship because Jesus's entire purpose in talking about sin, now catch this, Jesus's purpose in talking to us about sin is restoration, not condemnation. Boy, isn't that a relief? Jesus wants to restore us. He doesn't want to condemn us. We think if I, if I confess sin, I'm just condemned. There's no hope because I am. I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I've choked. What can I do? Jesus said, I want to talk about it. We said, we don't want to talk about that. Let's talk about something else. And Jesus said, well, if you can't talk about it, then I can't help restore you because you've got to identify with it. You've got to confess it. You can't be a mistake or you have to be a sinner in order to be forgiven. Because if you make a mistake, you don't need to be forgiven. You just made a mistake, right? But if you're a sinner, that makes a difference. And you can be restored. And, and sin breaks relationships, you know. And, and so if, if sin breaks relationships, what restores relationships? Well, here's how we approach that. We say, well, sorry. But sometimes sorry isn't enough, is it? As long as you think that you've made a mistake, you'll never ask forgiveness. But then when you realize that you really choked and made a mistake that's more than a mistake, it's a sin, then you have to get serious about it. When you've damaged a relationship, the relationship needs to be restored. And the only way for the relationship to be restored is for the offender to acknowledge and embrace the fact that they have committed an offense. Now listen, when somebody comes to you and they say, I'm offended, you hurt my feelings, this is what you did, and it may seem like it's not a big deal to you, but to them it is. And if to them it is, then you need to make it right because they're the one that counts. They're the one that you've offended. And so you need to try to commit, you know, confess and, and repent and ask forgiveness and say, I'm sorry I did that. You can't just say sorry, but you've gotta be sincere. You've got to look them in the eye. You've got to tell, I see that I've hurt you. I'm sorry. I apologize. Please forgive me. Jesus said your heavenly father wants you to be restored, but the only way for that to occur, because you're separated from him by sin, the only way for that to occur is for you to just confess and admit it, and then he'll take it from there and seek forgiveness. Jesus came along and he said, you think you've done some bad things? Let me tell you how bad you are. Okay, <laughs> I can't wait for that conversation. 
And once you acknowledge that you're doomed, Jesus said, then he can say, well, you know, that's who I came for. I came for the doomed people. That's why I'm here. God loves doomed sinners. That's why he sent Jesus. Uh, but you'll never know Jesus until you acknowledge something about yourself. Now, in Matthew, the fifth chapter, here's what it says. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And these were like the best people in town. Their full-time job was to be good. They were paid to stay ceremonially clean so that they could hear from God. And at this point, everybody in the audience who's hearing Jesus talk about it says, well, I'm doomed. I can't be like them. They're, they're perfect. They don't do anything wrong. I, there's no hope for me. And Jesus says, unless you're better than the best people in town that you know you're doomed. And then he goes on and he says, you have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, he said, that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. And basically he's saying that anybody who's expressed anger, anybody who's murdered, in God's economy, it's all sin. So you're both guilty. There's no levels there. And he said, if that's what your relationship has been with people, then you're all guilty. And before they could catch their breath, he said, it's worse than that. And he goes on in Matthew and says this, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then he condemns the whole group and they're all sinners. And he raises the bar so high, everybody's saying, well, what's the point? I can't possibly be forgiven. And then he rushes in and says, but that's why I'm here. Because he didn't just come to tell us we're sinners. He didn't just come to tell us we're condemned. He, he said, we need to ask forgiveness and then God will forgive us. But if you've never been restored by God, if you've never known you needed to be restored by God, then you can't be restored. You've heard the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery and the men bring her to Jesus. And they say, she was caught in the act of adultery and the law says that she needs to be stoned. And then what does Jesus do? He intimidates the crowd away. He says, anybody without sin cast the first stone and the oldest guy there dropped his rock and it just kept going until the youngest guy there did and they all were thinking, you could see the wheels turning and they all left. And then he looked at the woman and said, where are your accusers? And she said, they're not here, Lord. And he said, well, I, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. What he's saying is, honey, you're a sinner and you were caught. And, and by doing that, you know, you need to stop. But by, by the way, I don't condemn you. And Jesus said, if you'll just embrace what you've done, I'll offer you something that you need. I'll offer you forgiveness. If you'll just acknowledge it, you can be restored today. Jesus tells the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. And basically, in the prodigal son, the boy goes to his dad and he said, Dad, I want my inheritance now. And the father gave it to him and he goes away and he wastes his father's inheritance. And then he comes back. And because when he was away, it dawned on him, I'm really messed up. I've choked. And everybody listening to the parable that Jesus is telling knows that, that the Father is God and that the Son is somebody who doesn't deserve to be forgiven. And, and there's no way that this relationship can be restored. But listen to the words that Jesus puts in the mouth of the Son. 
Father, I've sinned. Not I made a mistake, not things didn't work out the way I wanted them to. Let's see if we can work this out. No, simply, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. What's happening? The son is owning his sin. And then in Luke 15, it says this. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Dad, I recognize that our relationship is broken. It's severed because of the sin that I've committed. I did it. You can't call me son. I can't call you father. And there's no way beyond that. The next phrase in the story Jesus says is something interesting. I want you to see this pivot point here because here's what happens. You see, the son is talking to the father. And when the son says, I've sinned, the father does something. He turns away from the son. He's not even talking to the son. And he starts talking to the servants. He turns to them. And now he's talking to them. He doesn't even address the son. And here's why. Because in this story, the father's heard the words he needs to hear. He's back. He gets it. He recognizes what he did was wrong. He recognizes that we need to be restored. But the father said to the servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Well, don't you want to hear where he's been? No, I don't need to. Well, don't you want to know what he did with all the money? No, it's in his eyes. I can see it. I know that he owns it. There's no more excuses now. He's not going to lie about it. Now we can be restored. And in Luke 15, it says, For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. They had no relationship. He was dead to me. He was gone. He was lost, but now he's found. What made him alive again? The, the willingness of, on his part to just acknowledge that he had sinned. And as they began to celebrate, the restoration of the relationship takes place. He didn't say, I'm just a bad money manager and I've made a mistake. I'm a mistaker. He said, Dad, I'm, I'm choked. I've sinned. Please forgive me. Let's see if the relationship can be restored. Here's my point. When you think about Jesus and you consider the Christian faith, recognition of sin, this is important, recognition of sin paves the way for restoration. It's like the last thing we want to do, but the first thing we need to do. Restoration with God starts with recognition of my sin. Now, in our minds, we think, well, once I say that I'm a sinner, it's all over. The, the ball game's gone. It's closed. That's it. It's, I, there's no way I can be forgiven. And Jesus said, you haven't been listening to me. Because what I'm trying to say to you is, if you'll just tell me the truth, then I'll restore you. If you'll just tell me the truth and confess, then I will heal you. I will develop uh, and restore your relationship. You've been separated from a God who loves you. And the only way back, is for you to be honest about it. And as soon as you do that, you're no longer a mistaker then, but you're a sinner. I don't know what you think about Jesus, but when Jesus talked about sin, I want you to catch his message. Jesus says, you're a sinner who needs to be forgiven. And I want to have a party for you, but the only way we can have that party is for you to be restored in a right relationship with God. So you're not a mistaker, you're a sinner, but you can be forgiven. Stop sinning. It's bad for you. It hurts you. But don't, I don't condemn you because you can be restored. Now, let me ask you this question. 
Is there something inside of you when you talk to God that causes you to resist to say I'm a sinner, resist to tell him the truth, resist to tell him the sin that you've committed? Because I think there's a hesitancy in all of us to do that, but that's the only way we can get well. When you were little growing up, your parents ever say, you gotta take your medicine if you wanna get well, right? If you don't take your medicine, you're not gonna get well. I don't want it to, it tastes terrible, I don't like it. Yeah, I know that. But you don't like being sick either, do you? No, I'm not too crazy about that either. Can, is there another way? Can I have cinnamon toast? Would that help me feel better? No, you gotta take your medicine. God says, this is the way that I've set it up. These are the principles we have to follow. And this is what you have to do. I'll never forget, years ago, over 40 years ago, when I was in college, I was at Middle Tennessee State University. I went to a Bible study at this house and there was a lot of college kids there. And there was this very successful businessman who was there. He had four grown kids. I went to school with his son and I was in college with him. And this guy had gotten saved years before. He, he was a, a non-believer and he became a believer. He became a Christian. And so he's in there talking to us. And this guy, he, he wasn't real loud and he didn't wave his hands around and do all this stuff. He was just talking to us, just like I'm talking to you. But man, it was powerful because he was telling us the truth. And while he was talking to us, he was looking at us and he was saying, have you ever felt like a sinner? Have you ever felt like a failure? Have you ever, ever felt like there was no hope for you to have a relationship. And he just went on and on and on. And most of us there were all Christians. And by the time he got through, we were all ready to rededicate our lives to Christ again. I mean, it was just, we were just hanging on every word. And then he said something that really was profound. He something that got my attention. He said, have you ever felt like, and he, and he described it one last time. And then he said this, I know you have because I have too. And then all of a sudden, everything changed. It wasn't just us. We weren't the sinners by ourselves, but now this guy's one of us. Now this guy who's talking to us, he's just not talking to us about getting our lives straightened out. He's saying, look, this is the way to go. This is the only way to get your life straight. This is what I've had to do, what I continue to do. And now he's one of us. And it just connected us all together. It was a very, very powerful moment. God used his testimony his witness. And this guy walked into a barber shop after he got saved. And, and we knew this story later. He told us the story. He didn't tell it. Somebody else told me about it. And there was a girl there who was cutting hair and she was not a Christian. And she offered him a magazine. And it was a magazine that you can't just offer in public. I mean, it wouldn't be a magazine that, that you would see that, that uh, you would look at today, especially if you were at the barber shop, somebody handed it to you. And and he said, no thanks. And she was surprised that this guy didn't take it. This businessman didn't take this magazine. And so she talked to him about that. And he was very honest. He said, well, there's a part of me that would like to look at that. But he said, it wouldn't help me. It would hurt me. And, and so she was confused by that. And so she just kept asking him questions. And that whole thing was a divine appointment for him to be a witness to her. It was just something that God set up. Long story short, he did witness to her. He kept going to her and she kept cutting his hair. She began to see that what he was talking about was real in his life, that it was genuine. He invited her to his house with his wife and his children and they had a little Bible study there. And over time, this young woman, this single woman became a Christian. 
And then at her barber shop, she spent all her time with divine informants. She spent all her time telling people about how she got saved. Here's my testimony, and I had to confess my sin. And this guy came in one day, and he was different from other people, and I knew he had something I didn't have, and I wanted that. And so I asked him all about it, and he told me. And, and then I watched him, and I saw that his life was genuine, and it was real. And, and then I, I began to see that I needed what he had. And, and after time, I, I made that decision. I confessed my sin, and I asked God to forgive me, and, and he did. And now it's a chance for me to, to talk to anyone who's open to listen. And God put people in my chair all the time who are just a captive audience. While I'm cutting their hair, we can talk about whatever comes up. And a lot of times that's something about God, and it's just an opportunity. I, I just have a divine appointment. It's not something I have to orchestrate or engineer. It's just something I can do because God just places it in my lap, and they ask me a question, and I, I get to answer it, and then God does the rest, and I get a front row seat to watch people get saved all the time. Well, that's a, a tremendous thing. It's a tremendous opportunity when we just take advantage of those chances that God gives us to talk to someone else. And it's a wonderful thing when not only does that happen to us, but then we see somebody, we tell them, and they tell somebody else, and it goes on and on. And I wonder over the years how many people will go to heaven because of this guy's witness? How many people will go to heaven because of this girl's witness? And what a difference that makes in eternity simply because people are willing to just be honest and sincere and, and tell the truth about their lives. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for not condemning us. We thank you for loving us and waiting on us to come to the conclusion by ourselves that there's something wrong in our lives. A mistake just doesn't describe it adequately. So today, Lord, I, I want to pray that you will give us all the wisdom to know what to do with what we've just heard. And then, Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to do it. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen.